discern that your spirit is here. And it is in our earthly humility that we bow today to tell you thank you. To ask for your forgiveness and the cleansing of our hearts and our minds. And while we're asking, we would, God, that you remove the distractions, that we may be able to hear you today, so we can know what it is you ask of us, and what it is you call us to do. For somebody here is looking for direction, somebody's come for instruction. Somebody just needs to know that you love them, that you do forgive them, and most of all that everything is going to be all right. So would you do in this hour only what you can do? Arrest this place for your own purpose, your own priorities. Then God, I personally, my body's weak, but my mind is strong. So thank you. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And all of the fasting people said, Amen. Y'all understood what I said when I said my body's weak. But my mind is strong. Amen. Grace and joy to you, family. It's preaching time. If you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 8, there we'll find a very familiar passage of Scripture. So glad to see my brother, Pastor Mitchell, in the house. Look like a freshman on campus right there. I didn't know who you were, Pastor. Amen. Good to see you. Amen. And the queen is with you as well. Good to see you. You look beautiful. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Welcome to New Beginnings. We are an expository teaching and preaching church, and that means we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible. Family, chapters at a time, comma by comma. And so we invite you today to walk through God's word with us. If you are looking for a church or a place to study, there's no better group. Amen. Amen. So we love to have you to journey with us. Sister Morgan's in the house today. Amen. Amen. Y'all ready? We love you, Morgan. We love you, Morgan. Amen. Good to see you. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start at verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things that were spoken by Philip. They hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. 
And this is my favorite verse. And there was great joy in that city. Tell somebody there was great joy in that city. Amen. You may be seated. We want to tag this message today, a new ministry for the city. A new ministry for the city. New Beginnings, our text and occasion this morning brings us to a classic reminder of the power of God and the work and the mandate of the church in a dark and dying world. At the time of our text, uh, brothers and sisters, persecution had forced the church to disperse and to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Last time we were in this passage, we saw our brother Stephen, the disciple, being stoned for the preaching of God's word. And the Bible says they laid their coats at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. You see, at that time, the church was growing and prospering in Jerusalem, but she got stuck in her ministry mandate. She was commissioned in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Sister Nesbitt, to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. But she got stuck in Jerusalem. The ministry was good. People were flocking to the work. Lives were getting changed. But she didn't do what God told her to do. And as a result of not obeying God, she only went so far. Tell somebody you ought to obey all the way. God had to raise up a young man named Saul to persecute the church in order to shake her out of complacency. Can I say some more? Sometimes God's got to shake you in order to get you to move to where he's trying to get you to go. And when we come to this text, there's some, this text, there's some shaking going on. So they have finally been dispersed or forced to go and do what God has called you to do. Can I park the car and waddle right there for a minute? Don't make me tell you God will force you to do some stuff. You trying to say, I ain't going to do it. Oh, yes, you will. Can I say, <laughs> is there anybody here? God had to make you do some stuff because you got stuck in your own position. Am I, am I talking to you? God will make you do what he's called you to do. I wish you had a choice, but the truth of the record is, Greer, ain't no choice with God. Am I making sense? If he called you to do it, he like, Mama, you going to what? Okay, all right, we're on the same page. So here we see, Marley, when we get here, that the early church is now sent to places to proclaim the gospel where people are not like them. They're sent to places to preach and proclaim the Christ and to heal those who were in need of healing. And Samaria had always been on the heart of God. From Acts chapter 1 verse 8, they were going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, what? Samaria 
and the uttermost parts of the earth. God always wanted somebody to preach the gospel in Samaria. It was a hot spot for the gospel. It was a place where God intended on showing his love to his people. Now, the interesting thing about this place, Samaria, is that as it comes on the faces of the scripture, on the face of the scripture in Acts chapter 8, it reveals to us a new demographic of people. Up until this point, Deacon Crawford, all we've seen is the gospel being used to the Jews. But God had never intended for the good news just to stay with the Jews. He had intended for it to cross the railroad tracks. Am I talking to you? He had intended it for, go, uh, for it to go across the freeway. Now, Samaria was an interesting place because the Samaritans didn't like the Jews and the Jews didn't what? Like the Samaritans. In fact, their nation originated in 7032 B.C. When the Assyrian army invaded Israel and took half the people and other captives from other countries and forced them together to intermingle and to develop a new people. They intermarried and now they were called the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. And they were a half-breed people. And because the Jews were prejudiced against Gentiles, and the Gentiles were prejudiced against the Jews, the Samaritans found themselves in a hard place. They weren't 100% Gentile, and they weren't 100% Jews. Can I say some more? They mama's people didn't want them and their daddy's people didn't want them. Am I talking to you? And as a result, they found themselves ostracized and oppressed. And then they took on the mentality that they themselves became an unfriendly people. A standoffish people. A people who didn't like outsiders and outsiders didn't like them. Now, they were also a least likely candidate to receive the gospel because of their position. But because God loved them, he had a plan for the city. Let the church say amen. So I got two points I'm going to deal with today. We're going to talk about Philip's mandate in the city and Philip's ministry in the city. Amen. All the youth can come in here with me now. Y'all come on in here. Let them in here with me. They out of church early. They're going to be in here with me. Amen. Go get them, Kabuya. Tell them I said come in here. Y'all clap when they come in, all right? Make them feel like they just got the uh, Oscar. Amen. Come on in. Come on in. All the youth. All the youth. Come on. Come on, here they come. Let's show them some love. Come on, here they come. Come on, amen. Praise God. Come on, here they come. Amen. 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 Heaven's most wanted. Heaven's heroes. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Point number one, Philip's mandate in the city. The Bible says in verse five that then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. The then in this text is very important because it comes on the backdrop of what happened that made the then happen. And the then happened because Saul had risen up and began to persecute the church, dragging everybody out from house to house. And they began to run for their life. It's kind of what's happening in modern day Iraq today. Right now, in the city of Iraq, Christians are running for their lives. They have been forced to make a decision, either denounce Christianity or die. And they are running for their life in the hills. So what's happening in our world is also happening in the text today. And Jesus said those things were going to happen. The Bible says it was then that Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Can I say some more? First thing I discover in this text is that the deacon in this text, Brother Philip, in his mandate is engaged by God to do outreach. He's got to leave his church and go out cross town or cross communities to engage in ministry. I like this because guess what? Deacons ought to serve in the church, but they ought to serve outside too. So many times we get stuck with just inside the four walls ministry. Tell somebody there's much more to do outside. And all of you, everybody in here need to have an inside ministry and a outside I hope you listen in today. He was a witness both on the inside and on the now look at this, guys. Not only did he have a ministry in two places, inside and outside, but his ministry was cross-cultural. Did y'all catch that right there? In other words, he went to a people who didn't look like him, who didn't hang with him, who wasn't a part of his culture. He went to a place where he would have been half forbidden to go as a Hellenist Jew, as a, a Jew who spoke Gentile or spoke Greek. This ministry for him mandate would have been challenging. It would have charged him. It would have confronted him and it would have changed him in many ways. Can I stick a pen in there and say something I didn't say earlier? You know why people, Freddie, don't do cross-cultural ministry? Because it challenges them. It makes them change their own mentalities and thinkings. It makes them look intently at their own stuff and have to give up some stuff to accept somebody that don't look like you. That's hard ministry. And that's why white churches and black churches and brown churches have a hard time getting along. Not that you don't love God, it's just that ministry becomes difficult. And guess what? Real ministry ain't for weak people. If you're going to think like Christ, live like Christ, you got to cross cultures like Christ. I hope I'm stepping on somebody's toe today. I want you just a little uncomfortable when you leave here today. Because you ought to have a ministry inside and a ministry. And guess what? It ought to be cross. Oh, somebody in class up in here. Can I say some more? Samaria, Zuniga, was a place where Jews were not respected. It was a place that had different traditions. It was a place where ministry would not have been easy. 
It was a place where Christianity was not thriving and where there would have been obstacles for those who tried to proclaim the gospel. It was a place without Christ, but a place that needed Christ. And God had ordered them to go there, but they got stuck and didn't go. Can I say some more? So a good friend of mine, family friend of mine called the Evans, Evans family that Sister Wilson and I befriended in Alabama. They came to uh, California on a family visit. They drove across town and, and they wanted to go to uh, Yosemite and a couple other places. But they, they really didn't get to see what California is like. So I said, y'all really want to see California? I'm going to take y'all to Venice Beach. Somebody said, ooh, that ain't right. I wanted them to get a good look at California. Can I tell y'all the rest of the story? So we get all in the vans and the cars and we head down to Southern California so they can see what Southern California is like. And when we get on the beach, you guys, the churches of Venice, California had a crusade on the beach. Y'all know I got excited right there. They had tents set up all in the main square. Must have been they were running different churches every hour on the hour. And when we got there, they were singing, How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all we see how great, how great is our God. I was like, it's a new beginner's party out here on the beach. Y'all should have seen the people that were normally out there getting high, the homeless, doing all kind of things, ungodly things under the sun, gathered around the tent as they exercised the outside ministry. No, y'all ain't, ain't in here yet. They took church outside. And the people who would have never came, came to the church. And guess what? The stuff they worship on the, they got to hear on the. People were weeping and clapping and crying. And then they had the audacity to set up intercessory prayer tents. The tents were filled. People were inside the tents getting prayed for. Can I say some more? Bodybuilders were all lotioned down and, and participating. They couldn't even hardly flex because the church was worshiping. Can I say some more? I walked by the police cars. The officers was kicking back on the car. Just like, in church. Come on, talk to me. Am I making sense here? They had a ministry for the city. And I just stood in the crowd and just prayed for the churches at Venice. I said, look at this, God. They got it. They had took the gospel to a dark and a hurting place. They were willing to share the gospel with those who were not like them. They were sensitive to the word of God. They obeyed the great commission. And they were reaching people in those areas where the gospel had not been proclaimed. Usually when I go down Venice, it's just to stir me up about how important it is to preach the gospel. 
Normally there are street vendors out there doing all kinds of stuff. But on yesterday, the peace of God was in that place. Am I making sense right here? So listen, y'all, all I'm trying to say is that Philip understood his mandate. He had to go to a place where the gospel had never been. And so when God is calling you, he's usually calling you to present the gospel in a place where it has not been heard. Listen, it's easy to proclaim the gospel in here. We expect to hear it. What God needs to proclaim is outside where ain't nobody listening. That's where we've got to go as a church. As a church, we've got to look for these areas, these dark places. Next thing I'll notice about this text is not only did Philip's mandate cause him to go cross-cultural, cause him to obey the word of God, but the third thing I notice about this is that Philip's mandate was also Philip's mission. What do you mean, Pastor? He had a clear mission to preach the good news. He was a preaching deacon. He didn't just serve tables in the temple. He didn't just work inside the four walls. He had the ability and the authority to proclaim the gospel. He didn't just wait for a preaching opportunity inside. He went outside and proclaimed the gospel. He went to a people that nobody else went to. Can I unpack this word? I was talking to one of the brothers the other day, and he was in a heated discussion with somebody who was arguing about this word, preaching. Then it dawned on me, I better teach the congregation this so you don't get it wrong. The text says that then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached. You see that right there? Christ to them. This word preached is not the word kleruso, which we get the word herald from. This is a word that's connected to the word euangelion. The evangelizer to go and share the good news. Philip went down to Samaria and shared the good news. The guy I was talking to was getting confused because the, the, the argument arose that women can't preach. I said, yeah, okay. But he was saying they can't preach and the fact that they can't share the good news. I want to stop you here today. Am I listening here? He was trying to encourage this brother to tell people, don't you on Gellion. No, everybody in here is a preacher. From the children to the old people. This word right here in verse 5 is the euangelion. Everywhere you go, you need to be evangelizing. Come on, talk to me. You need to be telling somebody about the gospel. Can I turn the light on? Don't you stop nobody who's trying to bring somebody else to Jesus. In verse 5, in a minute, I'm going to deal with the word caruso, which is the word herald, which belongs to the office of the man. Are y'all with me here? This verse ain't talking about no woman being a pastor. We already discussed that in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The mandate on the church in Acts is for everybody to be able to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Can I just make it plain? So in every tent at Venice Beach, there were people sitting down one-on-one with individuals preaching the gospel. Telling somebody who was lost how to be saved. I hope you're not afraid to preach the gospel. I hope you're not afraid to tell somebody about the good things of Jesus Christ. I hope you don't think that because I'm a woman, I can't share the gospel with somebody. You have to preach to people in order for them to get saved. But can I turn the light on? If you are a woman, that don't make you a preacher over a congregation. If you got that twisted, you better sit yourself down. That's not what the body, the Bible is talking about. The Bible is talking about in the, in the instruction of the church that the office of the pastor and the teacher resides to a man because the man is the head of the wife. Come on, talk to me like Christ is the head of the church. When it comes to oversight, administration, soul care in a local body, that's reserved for the man. But all of us are preachers. All of us ought to have a ministry inside and Any questions? Can I say some more? Guess my question is, who have you preached to lately? I hope when you're getting your nails done, you proclaiming the good news. I hope when they're doing your hair, you talking about what you ought to be talking about. Come on, talk to me. I hope that when you're out with your girls, come on, talk to me, and they don't know Jesus, you proclaiming the gospel. Come on, because that's when your ministry is hard. Am I making sense here? You must be a preacher everywhere you go. Can I say some more? This is an interesting word. Let me digress for a minute. Satan is so subtle that what he desires to do, Brother Dixon, is to get us caught up and play on words. So we will spend time fighting in the Bible or in the church about who can preach and who can't preach. Instead of encouraging everybody to run to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel. I'm looking at some of y'all now. You didn't got mad over that word. Shame on you. When you ought to be thinking about who can I tell this week about the death, burial, and the resurrection? Who can I reach in my circle of influence with the good news of Jesus Christ? That's what God wants. But we'll get caught up. Watch this. We'll get caught up with not only who can preach and what they can preach, but we'll get caught up about I want to preach right here in this pulpit. No, this is my assignment. Are y'all with me here? And God has made me the head of my, my wife, come on, talk to me, and the head of this church. Am I making sense here? Satan is subtle, though, so watch it. Tell somebody, watch him, watch him, watch him. He can get you twisted and have your doctrine now prohibit you from doing the very thing God called you to do, to go into the ends of the world and make disciples. Tell your neighbor, don't get caught up. Tell somebody else, stay focused. Now look, so, so Philip goes down. Can I keep right there? Can y'all with me? Somebody say, go, Pastor. Philip goes down to Samaria. And Yuan Galeon preaches the gospel there. Why? Because it had never been there. They needed it. He's witnessing uh, the gospel. 
This is interesting here. When we get to this place of the text, you must stop and take inventory. What does Fresno need today? The gospel. Can, can, can I, I heard somebody say water and some other stuff. Yeah. I get it. But even after you quench their thirst, they're going to hell if they don't have Jesus. Even after they get a job, they're going to still die and leave everything here. And you still go to hell without Jesus. So then high on the priority list must be the good news of Jesus Christ. God has left the church in Fresno so that the church can speak to the spiritual need of humanity. And once the spiritual need of humanity is met, the physical needs will all line up. But we try to take care of the physical first and not think about the spiritual at all. I want to tell you, that's, that's, that's not evangelism, you guys. That's good works. That's service. That's mission. But that's not the gospel. We must first save the soul, then minister to the body. Am I making sense there? But God is calling Philip in his mandate, uh, thank you, Lord, to go to a place and preach the gospel where the gospel has not been. Let me give you point number two, Philip's ministry in the city. If you got it, see, I got it. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, and the multitudes, this describes the crowd of Samaritans, with one accord, they heeded the things that were spoken by Philip. Y'all catch that right there? Uh, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They took heed of the things that the preacher was preaching about. First thing I noticed in this text is that Philip's ministry had great success. Reverend Billings, uh, in other words, there was a positive result from his preaching ministry. Can I say some more? Philip has a crowd now, and God has drawn the crowd because God has sent him to the city. In other words, God is doing a work through Philip, and Philip is available for God, and therefore God is affirming that I sent you to the place that you are in. I'm amazed at this, guys, because Philip don't have a strategic plan for ministry. He don't have a committee or a team. He ain't got a communications campaign. Ain't nobody announced that he's coming. He's simply willing to be in the will of God and obey the command of God to go. And as a result, the multitudes are responding to his word. Can I say some more? Philip ain't even ashamed of using what he got. See, some of us got good intentions about ministry, but we want to do ministry our way. Let me get about 100 people to do this, and then I'll ease the message on in there. No, that's cowardly evangelism. You really don't believe that the gospel can do what God said it's going to do. So you want to offer them a little carrot in order for them to come. You ain't got to do that. The gospel will draw all by it itself. 
Philip don't have a strategy or a plan to do nothing else but to go out and to reach lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. You know what I like about the Matthew party? It is what it is. People come and you invite people to the Matthew party because first of all, they know what you used to be. And then they know I'm no longer what I used to be. I'm a new man. Won't you come and meet the man who changed my life? Yeah, it's a party, but we're going to share the gospel with you. Am I talking to you here? Look, in this method right here, Philip uses proclamation and demonstration to reach the crowd. He didn't use tricks or gimmicks. He used the gospel. Philip sought to know nothing among them but Christ and him crucified. Can I say some more? In other words, Armstrong, he didn't care that they were Samaritans. He didn't care that they had a different religious structure. He wasn't intimidated by their Samaritan gods or their form of worship. He knew he had the truth. So he simply went with what he had, the truth of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And by faith, Philip was able to touch lives and change that community and make a difference where God sent him. One scholar commenting on this ministry said, said, said this, Pastor Mitchell, he said, Philip not only declared God's word, but he also demonstrated God's power by performing miracles. Can I argue this thing right here? Okay, the pastor say argue. I'm talking to him. Okay. So up until this point in chapter 1 through 8 of Acts, only the apostles have demonstrated the ability and the gifts to do miracles and to heal. Y'all in here? But when you get to chapter 7 and chapter 8, you see two deacons now who all of a sudden emerge off the pages of scripture, but they emerge with the ability to do miracles. Ah, stay in here real quick. Stephen is said to have healed people, cost him his life. Philip is said right here to have healed people, and now he's doing a great work for God. Isn't there something? That God called all of them and gave them all the same ability and authority. The difference between Philip and Stephen and the apostles is the apostles had the office of the apostles. The deacons did not. Can I say some more? But they didn't need the office. Why? Because God was doing the same thing in them and through them that he was doing with the apostles. Hey! All I'm trying to tell you is you don't need no office to do something great for God. Just obey and do what God called you to do. And the signs will follow those that believe. Uh, either y'all sleepy or y'all sleepy. Amen. Uh, I don't know, but I like this text. Zuna got like it. Because the Bible says, watch this now, that the people... Gave heed. Courtney, good to see you. They, they, they believed because of the word that he spoke. Can I park right there for a minute? Look, look. It was the word that caused them to be saved. Here I come. It wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the casting out of the devils. It was the... Guess what? Because you can't be saved without the word. 
No, no. Hearing, faith comes by. And hearing by the of God. Am I making sense here? It was the word he preached, not the miracles that he did. The miracles, watch this now. The miracles was evident that his God was God. And they were able to see, oh, snap, he is connected with the most high God. But it was the word he preached that saved them. Miracles are good, you guys. But they, 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 they can't save nobody. They can get people's attention. They can fix temporary problems in life. But nobody gets eternal life because of a miracle. Can I just go on and let all my hair down? Right now, in, in many continents, there are these things called miracle crusades. And people come to the crusade not because they want a personal relationship with Jesus, but they want some physical deformity fixed. Can I say some more? And the enemy has empowered some to do miracles, false teachers and preachers. And so at the miracle crusades, y'all listening, the invitation to salvation is never given. But if you got a little money, you can be healed today. Are y'all in here with me? The gospel is not the central reason for coming to get saved. It's the miracles. And even today, people today don't want God, but they want what God could do. Next week when we come back, we're going to see a fella who comes alongside and watches Philip's work. And he's called a false preacher, a, son, a sorcerer. He's going to see Philip's power and he's going to want the power and try to pay for it. He don't want Jesus. But he want what Jesus can do. Am I talking to you right here? Listen, all I'm trying to get you to say is that it was the word that the people focused in on and took heed to. And the early church had the ability. They had the ability to do miracles and the ability to preach the word of God. But they focused in on preaching the word. Why? Only the word could save. Another way to look at it, y'all. When Philip came to the city... The Bible goes on to say, and I'm humping it off, that unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many people, people who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Notice this. First thing I notice is that verse six and verse seven go hand in hand together. They took heed to what he said. And when they took heed to what he said, they was able to see what he did. Making sense here? Devils came out. People got healed. Miracles were happening. But the thing about this text that what God is trying to teach us is that if you obey what God is sending you, God will give you the power to do what you need to do in that location. Uh, can I turn the corner? Sometime I had to sit back in that chair and just watch. Because I remember when Sharon, Sister Wilson and the boys and I jumped in that little beat up car and came across country. 
started this church in the living room of Sister Patricia Johnson. I didn't see this. But sometimes I stand back and I look and I say, good God Almighty, look at what you're doing in the life of all these people. Not because I did some miracle, because we preached the word. It wasn't because Wilson is so great. You took heed to the gospel. And it's the gospel that then turns some of y'all lives completely around. Hey, don't make me call roll. Come on, don't make me call roll. Some of y'all know where you were. Some of y'all know the places you were in. Some of you know the situations you was in. The hot mess you had made of your life. But the gospel consistently applied to your life has transformed you from the man you are to the man you are today. To from the woman you are to the woman you are today. Come on, talk to me. The power of the gospel. And when I look at this text, I say, good God Almighty. Philip had a ministry that had importance. And when I look at this text, y'all, I wrote myself a note. I'm going to let you in my closet for just a minute. I, I, I said, I, I want to preach in ministry that make a difference. I want a preaching ministry that matters. I want to stand and deliver blows to the underworld that burst shackles and set the captives free. I want a ministry that shakes the foundation of hell so that those who are bound in sin have a chance at eternal life. I want a ministry that does something. I want a ministry that matters. I want a preaching ministry, yes, help me, Holy Ghost, that not only does something for God, but saves me along the way. I want to be his vessel and him be my master. Ah, I want to live my life in such a way that God can say to the world, I got one man who can preach like one man did in Samaria. I got one man who can handle one city. I got one man who's bold enough, crazy enough, and will go anywhere at any time and face anyone in any condition at any phase of life. I too want a ministry that matters. A ministry like Phillips. I don't want a ministry where I'm preaching my heart out, pouring in the scriptures, and the people's lives ain't changed. I don't want a ministry where I'm studying in the text and breaking forth the word of God, and then the people leave out here worse than when they came in. I don't want a ministry that don't make nobody's life change. I don't want to be in here playing. I don't want to be in here just having church. I don't want to be in here for another religious experience. I don't want a ministry that lies up in change. Can I just put my weight all on it? Guys, I want to be so filled with his spirit that I know what he's thinking. I feel what he feels for those who are lost. And I feel that he has a need to save everybody in this city. I want God to trust me like he trusts Philip with the gospel. There's evidence in the text. If you don't read it too fast, look, when Philip preached, hell was put on the run. When Philip preached, hell was made to stand attention. 
When Philip preached, demons had to flee from people. When Philip preached, the underworld was uncomfortable and they were served notice. Now that's preaching. Ah, can I keep going right here? See, real preaching is uh, the hell that's in you will be shaken up when you hear it. Real preaching will make you uncomfortable when you sit up under it. Real preaching will drive you or it'll draw you. Can I keep going right here? Real preaching will make you unsettled when you come in. A real preaching you are here when you outside driving your car down the street. Real preaching will be in the back of the recesses of your mind. So when you get ready to do something, the bald head preacher will come to your mind. I'm just going to go all out. I'm out here now. Real preaching will make you look around if you're about to get into something you ain't got no business getting into. Real preaching will bother you in your subconscious at night. It'll wake you up in the middle of your sleep and tell you, you know you got to fix that. Real preaching will shake you at your core that if you got something wrong with your brother, you got to repent. Real preaching will make you stop before you cut your preacher. I want a, I want a ministry that means something. I want a ministry that when hell even knows we're getting together, they're either assigning their very best demons or they're just writing off this zip code. Philip was a one-man preaching army that went to an area where the gospel had never been proclaimed. Do I got any witnesses in here? Oh, heck, can I just ask a question? Is there anybody here today that want to be used like that for God? No, 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 no. Is there anybody here that want to be used like that for God? I wish I had about 20 of y'all that'll stand up on your feet right now and find somebody else and just ask them, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing? No, get out of that pew. Go shake somebody's hand. Tell them, neighbor, come on. We got to be willing. 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 Got to be willing. Listen, when God's servant was used in Samaria, the whole city got shaken up. Ah, Y'all don't hear me. When God, God got a hold of one man, the city couldn't rest. When God got a hold of one man, the city was turned upside down. Some of y'all last week or two weeks ago, God got a little taste of what, what can happen at midnight at the mall. When a couple of crazy believers decide we don't care what the law saying, we coming to worship God in spirit and in truth. Some of y'all saw what difference a flash mob, a holy flash mob could do for God. Imagine if you really believe that. You could turn this city upside down with the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. But everybody got to be on board. 
Y'all didn't let the lion out the cage this morning. Can I say some more? Some of y'all still shaking and faking. That's why the gospel ain't been evident in your life. But I want to challenge you today. Forget shaking and faking and come real with God. Be somebody that say, for God I live and for God I die. And watch what happened in your own family. Watch what happened on your job. Watch what happened in your school. Watch what happened in your community. God will turn it upside down. Because you got the same power Philip had. Same authority Philip had. Same excitement Philip had. Tell somebody, let the lion out. Let the lion out. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. But can I give you my happy verse? Can I give you my happy verse? Somebody yell, happy verse. The text says, and there was great joy in that city. Can I tell you where the joy came from? The joy came from somebody living on the edge for Jesus Christ. The joy came from the preaching of the gospel. The joy came from going cross-cultural with the ministry. The joy came from not being afraid of what God has in store for you. The Samaritans, yes, had never experienced this joy. They might have had happiness. They might have had temporary contentment. They might have had a good feeling of glee. But joy can't come from nobody but God. So, so, so somebody got happiness and joy confused. Happiness, I heard Kurt Franklin say this and I like it. He said, happiness depends on happenings. You happy as long as you got something happening. But when that happening becomes an old thing, you ain't got that happening no more. Guess what joy is? Joy is contentment in God without your circumstances or situations changing. Can I say some more? They were still Samaritans. They were still second class citizens. They were still rejected by the Jews. They were still rejected by the Gentiles. But after they got the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had joy down on the inside didn't change their economic position didn't change their social stigma didn't change their name or their culture but now they had something that the world couldn't take away the joy of knowing Jesus is better than anything else can I put my weight on it Luke writing the book of Acts has got this thing for joy he talks about joy in Luke over and over again. And he comes to Acts and he keeps talking about joy. Remember in Acts, Luke chapter 15, when he tells the three stories, there was a father who had two boys. The boy comes home and there's great joy. The woman who loses 10 coins or one coin in the house, she finds it and there is the shepherd who's lost, the sheep, the shepherd, the sheep who's lost, shepherd finds him, bring him home. There's what? Joy accompanies the work of God in the earth. Somebody looking at me right now. You ain't got no money, but you got some joy. Somebody looking at me right now. You ain't got no wife, but you got some. Somebody looking at me right now. You sick in your body, but that don't bother you. 
Because joy ain't predicated upon what you have and how you feel. Joy only comes from the God of heaven and earth. Good God Almighty. And I'm looking at somebody who ain't even got no joy. Can I tell you what's wrong with you if you ain't got no joy? You got no joy because you had no faith. Not having faith and joy don't go together. See, joy and faith is like gas and fire. When you believe and you got joy, God will put you on blaze. But if you allow somebody to douse your joy or to douse your faith, you'll be a miserable believer. And guess what? Misery sometimes love company. And you won't, won't, you won't be happy with just being miserable yourself. You got to call everybody in the church to join your misery club. Well, I want to help somebody here today shine the light on the miserable Christian. When they call, you just ask them this question. Is this a misery call or is this a joyful call? Don't commensurate with misery. Misery. Am I telling you here? You ever notice how misery don't have an outcome? Misery just want to be miserable. Misery say, it don't take all that. Ain't nothing to be all that happy about. Can I talk to you right there? Misery loves to be miserable. Stuck in the mire of life. Oh me, oh my. It's just me. Don't nobody care. Oh, if they was real believers, why don't they pray for me? They all pray for you, fool. But you discouraging them every time they call. Can I talk to you? Be miserable by yourself. But don't stay there. Come on, talk to me. I heard that weeping may endure for a night. But joy, joy, joy are coming in the morning. I got to get out of here. Can I tell you the thing that blessed me about this text? When I looked at this text, I saw Philip's ministry. And I said, where have I seen that ministry before? And the Holy Spirit said, in my servant Jesus. Jesus came to Jerusalem, Galilee, the northern areas where the gospel was not wanted. But he preached the good news there, did miracles there. Y'all listening? Gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, cured the lepers, cast out demons. And then to fulfill the ministry, went one Friday night to a hill called Calvary and outside of the city of Jerusalem they stretched him high and they dropped him low he died didn't he die but guess what I found out he died for the joy set before him he endured the shame of the cross it was the joy of God that drove him to Calvary hey Help me, Holy Ghost. Joy will make you do some things. Joy will make you lay down your life sacrificially that somebody else might live. Joy will make you give up your rights for another man's wrongs. Joy will make you say, I know they mistreat me, but since Jesus did it, I'm going to do it too. Are you glad today for the joy of the Lord? It was because of the joy of the Lord that Jesus went into that borrowed tomb 
and early Sunday morning. I said early Sunday morning. He got up. He was raised up with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. I'm through up in here. But Philip just simply did what Jesus did. And as I came to my close on last night, I thought, man, isn't that powerful? That Philip was able to do what Jesus was able to do. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me. Every now and then he'll do that, Sister Billings, and say, Wilson, you got what Philip got. You came to a people where the gospel had not been proclaimed. And for some, you've given sight. They can see now. For some, their hearts have been fixed. And the miracle is they've been born again. Now, in order to keep your joy, in order to keep your joy, you got to die like I want you to die. You got to live sacrificially. You got to model it. You got to live it. You got to walk it out amongst the people. Live the sacrificial life that the joy of your salvation might bless somebody else. Good God Almighty. I'm through here. But is there anybody here today know what it means to be a joyous sacrificial offering? No. Is there anybody here today know what it's like to have the joy of dying to this old world? Anybody here know what it's like to have the joy of living so others may live? The joy of your salvation is predicated on how well you die. I'm interested in dying yes the right way I'm interested in dying so God's will may be done interested in dying Courtney so another generation might be saved come and die with me as I die with Jesus I'm dying I'm dying I'm dying that my sons might live I'm dying so sister Wilson can be presented like a bride adorned for her savior I'm dying so new beginnings can continue to have life I'm dying I tell you in my body in my ways in my ways so that you might be godly men and holy women of old I'm dying to my nature I'm dying to my will I'm dying to my own desires so that God's bride might be saved is there anybody here willing to die this morning stand on your feet if you say pastor I'm dying so my family could be better I'm dying pastor so my team could be better I'm dying pastor so my brothers and sisters could be better give God some praise and then hug about five people tell them I'm dying with you I'm dying with you hug somebody tell them I'm dying with you let's die together Let's die together. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody talk back to me. Say, I ain't scared no more. For the joy of the Lord, I'm going to be sacrificial. For the joy of the Lord, I'm going to give him everything. I can't hear you. For the joy of the Lord, I'm going to give him my life.
Come on, give God some praise while praise is on your lips. Hallelujah. Reach out and hold the hand of someone next to you. Eternal God, our Father, it's decision time. You've called us as a people to be those that 